0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. change. This is Rabbi Daniel Labin On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Labin Show. And you know how absolutely delighted I am that you're joining us here. I address you always as the Happy Warriors... And I do that because I want to encourage myself and you to take joy in the fights and the challenges and the struggles that life places before us. Because the the struggle is real. On every level, you're trying to uh, improve and strengthen your own body on the most elemental and basic level. You're trying to keep your body healthy so it'll serve you for as long as possible that's a struggle it goes against instincts instincts are to sit back allow yourself to be entertained by some mindless and brain destroying television program while you eat a bowl of ice cream but um, we know that if you struggle you get benefits there Uh, Your livelihood, your profession, your career, your business, however it is that you serve other human beings, well, that's a struggle. Everything from getting up on Monday morning after a busy weekend all the way to achieving your best, putting up with jerks, coping with non-cooperative people, and always, always moving in the right direction. And so happy warriors, yeah, that's I think of myself and you. Uh, we're all happy warriors. We not only are in the battle, we take delight in being in the battle. And being in the battle means that from time to time, uh, we're up against bad guys. We're up against uh, evil. And, and this can take shape in many different forms, obviously. Uh, it can be people. It can be a little more abstract. Uh, but, but even in day-to-day living, it is possible to run up against individuals who, uh, you know, who, who are just destructive. Who seem to take delight in in hurting others and in causing loss to others, and um, and so we deal with that. We recognise the the reality of coping with that kind of thing all the time, and the evil um, has become so recognize. It's something that we're all constantly aware of, and we're aware of the the struggle between good and evil on a geopolitical level, although nowadays it's not always that easy to see, um, all the way down to -to day-to-day interactions. But at any rate, one thing that uh, is for real is that we all recognize the sound of evil. For instance, like this now I'm sure those of you who are culturally literate and yes I know that the the last show we did last week's show was all about uh, cutting back on entertainment the damage that entertainment does to us and so I I should hardly be rewarding you here for being literate and familiar with all the nuances of entertainment. But but I think that one was a bit of a classic. You'll remember the movie from the 90s, Aladdin, and the evil in Aladdin was uh, personified by Jafar, and, of course, that was his famous laugh. And... uh, at the same time, I'm curious, looking at laughter and, and why that evil laugh somehow sends shivers down your spine if you're a, you know, a seven-year-old child. Uh, but I, I have other evil laughs as well. And, and they're all, you know, they're pretty bad. They, do, they are disturbing. But how's about uh, laughter in general? Why would it be? And it is very strange, is it not? I have written books discussing in detail. I've done shows discussing in detail how it is that Jews are disproportionately successful with money. And that makes a lot of sense, and I can explain it, and and anybody who has studied this together with me, understands that why Jews over the centuries have been disproportionately good with money not only makes sense, but the reasoning are things that you can take advantage of in your financial life, regardless of your religious background. All of that is straightforward. But what is a little bit harder to explain is why is it that if you look at the 20th century in general, uh, the the comedians in America I'm looking at America because I just I'm more familiar with the culture here but it may be true elsewhere as well Uh, certainly places that have a Jewish population what I'm about to tell you uh, that over 80% of the comedians if you add up all the comedians of the 20th century up till the present time over 80% of them are Jewish now that's crazy because the Jewish population of the United States of America is about 2% and so We'd expect to find two or three or four. Five percent would be double the representation. Eighty percent is absolutely incredible. Let me just uh, pick a few from my list out to name. Jason Alexander. I'll go alphabetically, okay? Jason Alexander is George in Seinfeld. Marty Allen. Woody Allen. Whether you find these people funny or not, by the way, is not the point. These are people who are professional comedians. Maury Amsterdam—that's going back years and years and years. Um, Hank Azaria, who uh, voices Apu in The Simpsons, um, is uh, is a Jew from from Persia, actually. And um, Roseanne Barr, Jack Benny—that's another one from from years back. Milton Berle, Shelley Berman. Um, Oh, gosh, Jack Black uh, coming up to date. Um, Alex uh, Alex Borstein, Fanny Bryce going back years. The funny girl was about this—the real life Fanny Bryce. Mel Brooks, uh, Lenny Bruce. Um, if any people have read about the uh, the the, um, uh, the show, the uh, is it the is it just the incredible Mrs. Maisel? I think, uh, at any rate, Lenny Bruce features in that. George Burns, the great George, cigar-smoking George Burns, lived to over 100, great comedian. Uh, Red Button, Sid Caesar, Eddie Cantor, uh, Andrew Dice Clay, Myron Cohen, um, uh, Norm Crosby, Billy Crystal, Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, Larry David. All right, he's he's still going strong. Um Fran Drescher, um, uh, Al Franken, who, again, hardly funny, but certainly made his living as a comedian on Saturday Night Live till he got even funnier and went into politics. Um, okay, who else? Uh, let, yeah, I, I, let me just run through a few more because it's a huge list. I'm, I'm leaving out the majority of them. Buddy Hackett, Chelsea Handler, uh, Jonah Hill, um uh, um, Al Jolson, no. not really a comedian, but uh, okay, fine. Uh, Mickey Katz, Danny Kay, um, Tom Lehrer, uh, am- an amazing, an amazing, a brilliant comedian. Um, who's the guy who plays the Victor Borge? Victor Borge should be on on my list. Jewish as well. Jerry Lewis. Um, the Marx Brothers, the three Marx Brothers, um, Jackie Mason, Walter Matthau, what a lovely comedian, Elaine May, um, Zero Mostel, Mike Nichols, by the way, big, big comedy career. Um, uh, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm running, I'm not, give, the, the list is huge, as, as you can imagine. Carl Reiner, Don Rickles, Joan Rivers, Seth Rogen. um um, um, you know Adam Sandler many, Most of these, I think Many of these will be names you know uh, There are a lot of these names I don't recognize But I'm sure many of you would Jerry Seinfeld, there's one Gary Shandling um, Phil Silvers Remember Sergeant Bilko Of years and years and years ago um, That was the 1950s He did Sergeant Bilko in black and white uh, br- br- Howard Stern um is is jewish and um again you know uh i don't particularly care for him but i do i do admire he does wonderful interviews Uh, i I don't particularly care for them but the, the quality the skill of interviewing is outstanding jerry stiller um all right we're coming to the end right gene wilder um late gene wilder terrific all right i think that's enough it's a huge list, and I, 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 only, I, I only touched on it, just touched on it. And so um, I'm looking at two questions together with you today. One, of course, is the evil cackle, that evil laugh. Um, sh- you know, you heard, uh, you heard Jafar. How about this one? Do you remember Cruella Deville from the Dalmatian movie? What do you think of her? <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right Cruella de Vil so uh, one of them is why, why is the evil laugh disturbing to us so much so that it's always a staple of uh, horror movies or any time the really bad guys or women come out uh, there's always got to be an evil cackle why that and then, again, why a disproportionate involvement of Jews in, uh, in the comedy entertainment area? What is it that is going on there? Is it something we can take a look at and make sense of? And I think it probably is. And that's what I'm going to try and do with your help. Of course, I always wish I could do these shows twice. Once the first time, like now and then i'd like to read all your comments some of you comment on my website uh, some of you comment on youtube some of you comment on lipsing and there are all kinds of wherever you wherever you hear this show there's an opportunity to comment and i am a fanatical about reading them all. And as you've noticed, i answer a whole lot of them as well. But I I do read them all. And invariably, you come up with ideas, you come up with things I never thought of. Sometimes you correct mistakes I made inadvertently. And so I'd love to take all of those things into account and then redo the show all over again, this time uh, better because it'll be not only the work of my mind and my heart and my soul, but it'll have, in addition, all your contributions as well. I wish I could do that. doesn't really work out in real life. But at any rate, uh, let's um, do a reminder to visit the website, and here is uh, what you should be looking out for today. Uh, it's an audio program um, and it's um, it's 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 over two hours. It's got a study guide, and um, it's called Madam, I'm Adam: Decoding Marriage Secrets from Eden. What's great about this is that um, it can reignite conversation with your spouse. Let's imagine you've fallen into a bit of routine, and you know every when you go away on vacation, you have great vacations. The rest of the time, it's work. And it's dealing with the, just the, the, the realities of life, whether it's children or relatives that need help or running your home or paying the bills or taking care of a second job. But whatever it is, it's very possible that you're not enjoying the, the gift of your spouse as much as you could if you actually set aside conversation time. And uh, I'll tell you, Susan and I do that, and we, we have a rule uh, that for business, we, we schedule business meetings where we have to discuss that with each other. But in our conversation dates, our times where we set aside just to talk with each other, and sometimes we'll do it at a coffee shop, sometimes uh, on a drive, uh, and sometimes in our living room, um, and and we'll talk about things we haven't spoken about before. Uh, it might we might kick off the conversation off a book that one of us has read or a news item one of us has seen, but um, very often uh, it'll be uh, the the result of a rabbi's lecture. You know, we there are rabbis we look up to, and um, and we sometimes talk about that. At any rate, the nice thing about uh, Madam I'm Adam, Decoding Marriage Secrets from Eden, is that uh, if you were to listen to it together with your spouse, you will find, and you know I'm, what I'm saying is listen to you know 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour of it max, uh, and then turn it off and continue another time. But for now, just use that as a launching pad for conversation. It's also obviously useful for people who are not yet married and have that looming decision ahead of them. All righty, time for us to continue, and um, that's exactly what we will do. Entertainment began, for real, in the, uh, the early 20th century. Uh, we had radio, used to be called wireless, and then, of course, followed uh, eventually in the 1950s by widespread television. And uh, humor began to be a staple of the radio and the television diet, and Jews came out of the woodwork. All of a sudden, Jews dominated the field of comedy and humor, extraordinarily, and so much so that when we look at the last, well, it's not even 100 years, Uh, it didn't really begin until uh, the 30s, but if we look at this period of time and we see that uh, actually over 80% of all the comedians are Jewish, that's extraordinary, Now, uh, it also goes without saying that the overwhelming majority of them are male. What's that all about? Do you have any thoughts on that? Why would the majority of comedians be male? And there are some very funny and amazing female comedians there have been. But why predominantly male? Well, first of all, uh, in the world of stand-up comedy, You're putting yourself out there in a way that uh, is, uh, you're vulnerable to incredible humiliation. And women just do not do that as eagerly or as willingly as men do, and maybe to their credit. This is one of the reasons that the way that the good Lord arranged human sexual interactions is that it is the man who proposes marriage, not the woman. And here we are, you know, 50 years of egalitarianism, 50 years of feminism, 50 years of freedom, and uh, you still do not get marriages being arranged because the woman dropped to one knee and held out a watch and said, please accept this Rolex from me. And be my husband and make me the happiest woman in the world. Uh, it just doesn't happen that way. Guys run from that, and the uh, the reason is because again, the the vulnerability of the proposer is huge. Right? It is. It is. It happens where, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Uh, again, uh, if I were advising men proposing, I would tell you how to go about this. But for today. Uh, there are humiliations where the woman says "No or "I need more time or I'm not ready and the guy's gone and done this in a restaurant or on the uh, on the video screen at a sports event or at some public occasion, and his humiliation is complete. Um, it's very sad, but uh again, men much more capable of handling that. Than women, so one of the reasons that the wonderful profession of sales is again almost dominated by men. One of the exceptions is pharmaceutical sales. Uh, real um, uh, residential real estate is also women, but for the most part, the heavy lifting of the world of professional selling, done by men. Why? Because having the phone hung up on you is is humiliating it, it it takes you down and men are should be able to discipline themselves to rise above that and to have uh, enough get up and go that they pick themselves up again after having been told no or you have a door slammed in your face or a, a, a customer says look I'm, I'm not buying from you anymore i've switched to your competitor these are very difficult psychic encounters and, uh, and, and men do deal with this a little bit better than women, or should. And men should take pride in their ability to withstand this. I would encourage uh, any man to experience and to even take training in the field of sales to really understand, because that is the cutting edge of business, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to a woman because I think it could produce in her a, a toughness and a harshness that won't stand her in good stead in some of the more important interactions of life. That makes sense, I hope. But uh, making people laugh is is very appealing. Uh, professional speakers incorporate humor. Um, Sometimes at a party, somebody starts telling a joke and, you know, other people join in and start thinking of theirs. But making people laugh is very gratifying. It feels good. Why? Well, let's take uh, a quick look, shall we, at the only biblical uh, comedian. Who is the person who, towards the end of his career, went into comedy? His name was Samson. And if you want to read a bit more about it, you can take a look at the book of Judges, chapter 16. And in verse 25, um, it says, And it came to pass um, when their hearts were good, the, you know, the, this were the Philistines, and they had uh, captured Samson, he was in their prison. And they said, Call Samson that he should entertain us, that he should make us laugh. And they called Samson from the jail, and he did comedy. He made them laugh. And they let him stand between the two pillars of the theater, which was Samson's idea. He had prayed to God for one last bout of strength with which he was hoping to bring the house down, literally, even though that is an expression from entertainment. And that's exactly what Samson does. I should mention that uh, the two Hebrew words for making them laugh actually vary from one another very slightly. And I'll uh, I'll do a thought tool on that topic in the near future. But the, the bottom line, oh, by the way, many of the English translations I noticed use the word that he may make sport for us. Uh, I have no idea. I haven't checked to see if that came from the King James. Whatever it is, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, What it actually says very explicitly, by the way, using the same word as makes up the name Isaac in Hebrew, Abraham's son Isaac, around whom the overwhelming majority of references to laughter in the Bible occur. Uh, Abraham... Uh, was told he'd have a child, Sarah laughed. Uh, they named Isaac laughter, etc, etc. There are lots and lots of laughter references. And that word for Isaac which means laughter, is exactly the word used here uh, as for what Samson did, made them laugh. and uh, and that is the, uh, the, the, the the subject we're talking about. You ready maybe for another evil cackle? A, a bout of evil laughter. Do you recognize this one? <laughs> yes, that's right. The Joker. And there have been so many variations Uh, of uh, the the Batman stories, real movies, cartoons, but uh, the Joker always has a really, really evil laugh. Uh, So, uh, what is laughter? Well, first of all, uniquely human. Now, I know, and I've seen this myself, by the way, I'm not going to argue with anyone on this, Uh, I have seen times where... Uh, my dog looked like he was laughing. I mean, he he just seemed to to have a grin on his face. Um, it's a lot like when I've seen um, dolphins. I've had a few of these absolutely blessed days in boating, where I suddenly we find the boat surrounded by huge schools of dolphin, and you really get a chance to 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 look at them because they come close and they play in the bow wave and what is more I have no scientific information on this at all but just from anecdotal experience I have seen I have literally seen these animals react to my children's whooping and hollering and laughing and calling out uh, as they hang over the side of the boat It's it, the, these creatures really do seem to respond to that And uh, for all the world, they look like they've got a beautiful, happy smile on their faces. Uh, I don't know what animal physiology is and what causes that. But laughter at an idea is a uniquely human uh, behavior. What is the laughter and what is the idea? Well, the laughter uh, falls into two categories, if you like. Uh, Wholesome and unwholesome. I'll come to the wholesome in just a moment. The unwholesome is laughter at one of three um, areas. One is sexual, one is bathroom humor, and the other is uh, religious humor. Um, You know, uh, this, this guy... Uh, lived a long and happy life and eventually arrived at the pearly gates and the angel uh, Gabriel said to him and so on and so forth. Uh, so you've got the, the religious kind of jokes and, um, and then you've got uh, kind of jokes that revolve around uh, puerile potty patter uh, and, and then you've got sexual jokes as well. And obviously... Uh, most refined people do not enjoy hearing humor in those categories uh, the the wholesome category of humor is in a way best understood by first understanding the unwholesome humor what is it that makes people laugh at, uh, at potty humor let's start with that because it's the most juvenile ok the uh, The reason is because, in general, laughter represents a violation, a contradiction of a reality that you believe in. So, for instance, if a uh, pompous uh, politician slips on a banana skin and lands on his back, People laugh. It's just plain funny. That's all there is. It's, you know, you feel sorry for the man. You hope he didn't hurt himself. But it's funny because you, on the one hand you got a pompous politician, and the, on the other you got him lying in the, on the sidewalk on his rear end. And that contradiction is just plain funny. When a, uh, a, a destitute vagrant slips on the same banana skin and falls, nobody laughs. It isn't funny. It's just part of his general lowered condition in life. You know, he's got nothing. And now one more thing. He slipped as well. You don't laugh. You feel bad. It's contradictions. I always come back to uh, the brilliant Gary Gary Larson's Far Side cartoons. Um, They're wonderful. I haven't seen them for years, but... uh, they're, they're wonderful, they're about animals talking and making observations and they're insightful, they're hilarious but imagine that um, Gary Larson started writing those cartoons in a world where animals spoke, now it wouldn't be funny at all, or those same cartoons about people saying the same things are not funny they're only funny because they violate the reality that animals don't talk see, that. That's what humor is. And so when we examine bathroom humor, it's, it's almost, um, you know, little boyish, it's sophomoric. Because what's happening is we all know that bathroom humor, that bathroom functions are private. Civilized people go into a small room to carry out these functions. They're not comfortable if other people are around. And it's, it's, it's totally private. And I've discussed uh, on another show why it is a private function. Okay, and as just a quick reminder, uh, it is because bathroom functions are embarrassing. They remind us of our animalistic side. We feel best, we feel most uplifted, we feel most capable of creativity and greatness when we think of ourselves as being closer to the angels than the apes. But in the bathroom, it's very hard to escape the realization that we've got a very strong ape-like dimension to us as well, an animalistic dimension. And so for that reason, we keep the bathroom functions private, and that is why bathroom humor b- makes us laugh, sometimes involuntarily. We feel we feel um, sick at ourselves for even laughing at it, but it's funny because it violates the reality that everybody knows deep in their hearts, and that is that bathroom matters are private, and now we bring it out into the open, and whether it's an embarrassed giggle or a guffaw we're laughing at that aspect of it the website i want to remind you of is wwwrabbi daniel rabbi daniel Lappin.com. and please read up about the uh, resource called madam i'm adam decoding the secrets of marriage, decoding the secrets of marriage, and uh, the reason I recommend this is because whether you are on the threshold of marriage, whether you are or somebody close to you is a young man or woman uh, who is beginning to enter that phase of life where we seek out a mate with whom to go through life hand in hand with, uh, very valuable, very worthwhile, because the message they get from the culture is so horribly wrong. For instance, the idea, this romantic idea perpetuated by entertainment, uh, that there's only one person in the whole world that's right for you. It really is helpful to understand not only that that is simply not true, but why it isn't true. And uh, that and many, many other aspects of understanding marriage come out of the two-hour study program, Madam, I'm Adam, Decoding Marriage Secrets from Eden. And you can uh, read about that at (music) rabbidaniellappin.com. Well, that brings us to uh, sexual humor. What's that about? Well, again, deep down uh, in our subconscious, we realize the majesty and mystery of sex, something that inexplicably ties us to eternity. And our subconscious really does matter. How much of what goes on in our day-to-day life, how we react to things, how we initiate things, has to do with something in our subconscious that was set in place by something that happened when we were a teenager or when we were five years old. These things really shape us, our, our not that we're inescapably down to them, of course, everybody can move forward and everybody can liberate himself from things. But the fact that we do have a subconscious, there's no question about it. And uh, I, as I explained last week, entertainment is one of the ways we try to suppress our subconscious because there are times when our subconscious talks to us and it tells us things like, you could be better than you are, and that's very uncomfortable. Much better to turn on the comedy channel and laugh for a little while. And when you do that, what you will find yourself laughing at on the comedy channel is a whole lot of sexual innuendo jokes. Yeah, that's right. Because jokes about sex, bringing them into the open, away from a private setting and turning it into something smutty and funny. Um, it does exactly what we've been talking about which is that it's, it's this sort of huge violation of what deep down we really know what it's all what 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 it really is and so that contradiction between what we know it really is all about and what it's being turned into um you know is is the politician slipping on the banana peel it's taking two opposites and bringing them together and uh, that makes people laugh. Uh, religion in exactly the same way. Uh, we know that it's something private. My relationship with God is my private business, got nothing to do with you. And uh, it's it's hugely important whether I recognize it or not. And now uh, we have a genre of humor that reduces it. And again, the contrast between something monumentally important and turning it into, uh, uh, you know, so Joe went on a tour of hell and he liked what he saw and then when he went back afterwards there wasn't anything like that and it turned out that that was when he was a tourist and now he's a resident. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, the, the humor is, is there, obviously. That's the whole point. And the thing about humor is that Every time we laugh at something wholesome or something unwholesome, we are validating the idea that there actually are norms. Because if there is absolutely no norm of any kind, then nothing could possibly be funny. And that's why one of the funniest jokes on that uh, on that scale is when they say... Uh, um, You know, how many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the answer is, that's not funny. In other words, there's a subtle recognition that um, nobody who is a doctrinaire leftist can laugh at anything. Because the whole point of socialism in the ultimate is revolution. It's shattering every existing institution, every existing notion, every existing standard, um, every existing moral norm. That's what socialism does. And so since absolutely no standards exist inviolably in a world of socialism, there is no humor. There can't be. There's nothing funny because there's nothing to push against. It's like trying to run a a propeller airplane in a vacuum, or for that matter, a jet plane in a vacuum also. Uh, It doesn't work. There's nothing there. And so uh, humor is a lot like that. If there's nothing there, if there is no standard, there's no humor. Which brings us back, I think, to why uh, Jews are so prevalent in comedy. Let me explain. You see, uh, as a a little side excursion, uh, professional wrestling as a sport in the 1950s was pretty much local uh, to the northeast of the country. Massachusetts was was big in it. And there were, you know, there were different circuits and different promoters, but uh, it was never really huge on the west coast and in the south. It just wasn't the thing. And uh, then a guy called Jess McMahon got hold of it and started rolling him up, meaning he started building alliances so as that three small uh, wrestling promoters became one. And then eventually his son, Vincent, who's the father of the head, the current head of uh, that wrestling organization, Vince uh, McMahon and his wife, I think her name is Linda, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, the point is, his grandfather started the business, his father took it over, and then finally he did. And I believe, um, I think I'm right, that it was he who hit upon the genius idea of turning it from just, you know, two big bruises battling away at each other um, to turn it into a morality play. And uh, he turned it into a battle of good versus evil. And so uh, back in the, um, in the 80s, there was a, a wrestler called Hulk Hogan who uh, was pro-American, and he always uh, gave a, a prayer to God after he'd won a bout. And he was, he was your quintessential good guy. And he was often pitted against guys like the Iron Sheik, who try to make the crowd sing the Iranian national anthem. And you'll remember that uh, that the hostages that Iran had taken when it stormed the embassy, and when America uh, so disastrously under Jimmy Carter got rid of the Shah of Iran and replaced him with the Ayatollah. Uh, thank you, Jimmy Carter, for that, as well as for several other things, including... Um, something we haven't yet had to pay for, but that we will in due course, and that is the um, the Panama Canal mess. But anyway, uh, what happened then was that uh, only after the hostages were released in 1980, uh, you know, did uh, and they were t- they were locked up for some period of time. You know, a year or two is awful, but. Um, Meanwhile, in wrestling, it was the good American patriotic wrestler against the Iron Sheik from Iran who tried to make people sing the the National Anthem of Iran. And uh, the WW, the World Wrestling, was the World Wrestling Federation maybe? I don't remember. But um, it took off and uh, became huge. And, And I think to this day it still remains a fairly large entertainment franchise yes obviously entertainment not sports everybody knows that but the genius was realizing that what sings to our souls what really makes uh, us pay attention is a struggle between good and evil and one of the areas in which good and evil clash is over the area of standards over the area that there are absolutes And one of the reasons that uh, the excesses of secular fundamentalism and uh, and liberalism, one of the reasons these things apply and take root most firmly in the liberal arts programs of universities but not – in the science departments or technology or engineering or math departments. No, because those are the areas where no matter what your insane postmodern interpretation is, it still comes down to a basic reality, and that is one and one equals two. There are certain constants in the world, whether it's uh, constants of gravitation or constants of electrostatic force or uh, anything else. Everybody realizes. And so the science areas are blessedly free of some of the indoctrination of liberal excess, simply because it's unarguable that they do actually have standards. Uh, Yes, I I should just mention that uh, this is not altogether reliable. There are places where the left has attempted to make encroachments of uh, abolition of all standards and absolutes, uh, even into the science departments. Um, sadly, because I'd love to see South Africa succeed and, and really make progress, but at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, um, the uh, the math department is being subjected to um, an Africanization. They call it decolonization. And they want a different kind of math. They want curriculum revisions that promote non-Western contributions to the field, new teaching methods rooted in indigenous cultures, greater, greater openness to ideas from outside the academic mainstream. And some of them are even trying to challenge the philosophical Foundations of mathematics itself. You know, you would have thought that the patterns and systems and equations that uh, underpin our knowledge of the physical world and that that we call mathematics would have absolutely nothing to do with the way people feel about politics. It just—it's it, the reality. It's just the way—it's it, the way it is. But um, unfortunately. Many of the long time math teachers at the University of Cape Town in South africa uh, are are sounding very very dismal i 've read some pieces where they speak about saying that you know they don 't know that the university is going to be able to withstand this um, and that the uh, and, and that the math department is going to go under in a spate of anti colonial political correctness. And uh, if that happens, it's very tragic because, obviously, it is not possible to operate in a modern society. It's not, op- it's not possible to operate in finance and investments. It's not possible to operate in industry or mining or anywhere else uh, if, if numbers don't mean anything. And that seems to be the direction, unfortunately, in which that is tragically going. And humor reminds us that there are absolutes of some kind and depending on on what the humor is even unwholesome humor even unwholesome humor by the very fact that it's funny is a reminder in our subconscious that yes, these things do have a deeper meaning and it's precisely that which makes it possible to laugh but there's something positive about the laughter and so One explanation for why Jews are so disproportionately prevalent in comedy and humor um, is this. And it's the only one that I'm aware of that makes any sense. By the way, I've heard all the explanations because I'm not the first person to make the observation that Jews are so prevalent in comedy. And there have been a number of attempts to explain it. One is, oh, they've suffered so much. And so, uh, therefore, they really ought to uh, uh, be the best at comedy because they had no alternative but to laugh laugh at their travails. Uh, I'm really sorry to tell you, but nothing in Jewish history tells us that uh, they ever laughed at their travails. They didn't laugh going into the death camps. They didn't laugh during the 17th century Cossack massacres of the Polish-Jewish community. Uh, no, they didn't laugh when they got thrown out of Spain and Portugal. They didn't laugh when they got thrown out of England in 1290. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's simply not the case. Uh, laughter uh, doesn't come as the result of having suffered. If that's the case, then the best comedians of the current era should come from among the Hutu, the uh, the Tutsi tribe in Rwanda, uh, because they suffered such hideous massacres at the hand of the Hutus. So, um, no, uh, that, that doesn't produce humor at all. In the final analysis, the, uh, the reason is because Jews as a people, and to a greater or lesser extent, depending on the epoch in history, have uh, been the guardians of the idea of an absolute, including the ultimate absolute of God. Well, uh, certainly not laughing about sex at all, but it is a vital part of a marriage relationship, and we don't shy away from it in the audio program Madam, I'm Adam, Decoding Marriage Secrets from Eden. Uh, That, along with many other uh, critical topics that a man and a woman contemplating marriage need to talk about, and a man and a woman who are married maybe be married for a while but would still benefit from having uh, an intimate conversation a, a talk and uh, and i know most times when a woman says to her husband we've got to sit down and we have to talk his heart sinks and he's trying to think of all the things that have gotten you know that he's responsible for uh, but no there are times when a husband and wife uh, sit down and have a talk and a conversation about something substantive and meaningful like absolute values um, that there's that there's true value in that there's something very very powerful and very effective so uh, do not shy away from it Rab- uh, Rabbi Daniel lapin.com is the website www.RabbiDanielLappin.com. and what you're looking for is an audio program uh, with a study guide you can download it. And it's called Madam, I'm Adam, decoding marriage secrets from Eden. So professional wrestling really took off. When it uh, was presented, not just as a bout between two equally matched uh, guys, but uh, it took off when it turned into entertainment that that revolved around uh, the battle between good and evil. And... uh, And from then onwards, as much as possible, they try to make sure that it was always there was somebody that the crowd loved to hate. Uh, You know, somebody who cheated and was in every way just a bad, bad person, and the crowd loved it. The crowds came out nationwide, and television WrestleMania hit the country, and um, and that's how it all grew. In my opinion, not only because of the business genius of the, the McMahons who had three generations of the family had been doing this, but, uh, but also because they realized that uh, entertainment works best when it is a struggle between good and evil. Um, laughter reaffirms the existence of that struggle. Laughter reminds us that there are certain things that are true and real and it's the very act of contradicting those things and violating them that makes them funny. But you can only laugh at those things with half your attention devoted to the observation and the recognition that they are real. And I think that has a lot to do with why it is that Jews uh, were always, have always been so visible in comedy. First of all, I should mention that many of the uh, comedians i mentioned the jewish comedians i mentioned are people whose grandparents and great-grandparents were bible believers many of them were rabbis and you'll sometimes hear them talking about that Um, it's it's a fairly well-known phenomenon so much so that uh, on the simpsons for those of you who um, uh, have paid attention to that comedy show over the years Uh, There's a character called Krusty the Clown, who I think sort of stands in for Jewish comedians. And not surprisingly, uh, Krusty's father, from whom he's somewhat estranged, I think, is a rabbi. This is an old pattern. And so uh, where a few generations earlier, those Jews were teaching the authenticity of the Bible. They were teaching about God. They were teaching what God expects from human beings. They were teaching those absolutes. Their children, having abandoned faith completely and renounced the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, still couldn't get out of their subconscious, still couldn't get out of their soul The that for which Jews have always stood, which is the ongoing existence and reality of God. And so the next best thing to to deal with that because it can be incredibly painful to have your subconscious saying to you <laughs> come on you know you know there's a god and you know he's looking at you right now and you know he's not impressed with you that's very disturbing and one of the ways of shutting it out is entertainment of which the very best form is laughter remember the old readers digest column laughter is the best medicine Uh, People have been saying things like that for generations. And so the descendants of these Bible-believing Jews, descendants of these rabbis, came to America and eventually abandoned their faith to a large extent. Their ethnic identity as Jews was still obviously there, but they uh, were not practicing for the most part. But nonetheless, they were not able to shut out that idea of a world of ultimate truth. And that is the most reliable starting block for humor. If you've got a solid, unchangeable reality, then bouncing from that, it's a great launch pad because humor is only funny when it violates something which is something which is, something which is unarguable and real. And there's very few things that are more real than God or, for that matter, male-female relationships. So obviously those became major areas of unwholesome humor. Uh, There's no escaping the reality of bathroom, right? Everybody recognizes that. We try and minimize it. It's uh, obviousness in our day-to-day life, and we speak about the restroom or the men's room or the powder room, but that's only because we know what it really is, and that makes it a launchpad for humor as well. Now, how about that evil cackle we were talking about? Why is that evil laugh such a staple? Well, let's listen to one more, shall we? <laughs> I mean, and how many angels dance on the head of a pin? Well, that one uh, you might recognize if you are uh, familiar with. United States politics because that is a certain notorious uh, female politician who shall remain nameless but uh, that is a montage of of her cackle uh, which was noted while uh, she ran it was it was something that people were aware of and uh, there it is the the evil laugh why well again the Coming from a character like, you know, the Joker or Cruella de Vil um, or uh, Jafar in Aladdin, the laugh coming from somebody like that is blood-chilling because it's incongruous. You know, the person is, you know, that evil villain is about to make arrangements to methodically do away with you, or going to turn some adorable puppies into a coat, a person is going to be doing something absolutely horrible, and they laugh, and that conflict, that huge contradiction between their intrinsic nature and the sound of laughter, which ordinarily speaks to a warm feeling uh, you know, when we share laughter with people, one uh, one is one is aware of this surge of good feeling and happiness. Uh, we love laughing together with other people, and uh, you know, you might you, things just might be. Uh, like that on some occasion when you're with friends and the laughter is, is incessant and uproarious and, and then at the end, you know, with the tears in your eyes still, you shake your head and you say, I haven't had a good laugh like that for five years or, you know, whatever it is. So uh, the contrast between what you normally expect to be the good feelings surrounding laughter plus uh, in conjunction with the, the horror of whatever this evil villain is planning to do, well, that is enough to send shivers down anybody's spine. One of the reasons that uh, uh, couples dating so often cite a sense of humor as important um, is for this very reason. In other words, if the same things make you laugh and make me laugh then the likelihood is that we share at the very least a common conviction that we live in a world of absolute values, which, by the way, not everybody agrees, right? I think it's fair to say that the left in both Europe and America today as well as other countries, uh, the left with a capital L believes that there are no absolute values at all. And as I told you about the University of Cape Town, they're even throwing into question whether they are absolutes in science and and mathematics. But um, they certainly do not agree in any other form of absolute. Um, you would have thought that one of the oldest absolutes of human existence is male and female. And that's one of the reasons that that is so vigorously rejected by the left. So, uh, one of the reasons, and for me, so far of the many reasons I have heard advanced to explain uh, Jewish success in the world of comedy, uh, the only one that I'm happy with at the moment um, is the idea that Jews having nonetheless abandoned the faith of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in huge numbers, nonetheless remain committed to a subconscious awareness of the reality of God and the history of the Bible as God's message to mankind. I think this also explains the very large number of Jewish atheists. In other words, um, there's a very big difference between being indifferent to the question of God and being an atheist. Being an atheist means that you are actively engaged in fighting belief in God. Well, (laughs) if your subconscious was really persuaded that there is no such thing as God, then you wouldn't fight it. You'd, You'd feel ridiculous. It's the same reason that there are no Jews busy fighting the flat earth theory because they they know that it's not real. But there are many Jews fighting creation as a theory because there's something in it that worries them, all having to do with the subconscious. We cannot help our subconscious. It is there. Uh, We can work against it when necessary. We can be aware of it when necessary and work around it. But our subconscious is a real thing. And so uh, uh, Jews' involvement in comedy, yeah, part of the same thing. Uh, A a restatement that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, there are absolutes in the world. Because if there's no absolutes, there's no humor. And the very fact that there is humor means there are absolutes. And uh, ideally, when two people share the same sense of absolutes, which really should be a prerequisite for anyone getting married, how can anybody think of getting married before checking that you and your intended have the same kind of sense of humor, that you believe in the same sort of absolutes? Because if one of you believes in the existence of absolutes in the world and one of you believe that everything is liquid, everything is up for grabs, everything is uh, capable of being shifted in a cultural revolution, uh, you don't really have the basis for building a marriage. It's it's not going to work. I have no hesitation in telling you that. It's not that I don't think it has very good chances. It won't work. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons that when you can laugh with your spouse or you can laugh with a person you want to marry, that means a lot. There's there's something behind that. Uh, laughter is a real thing. Uh, what animals do on their faces uh, is what it is. But only human beings laugh along the lines we've spoken about because genuine laughter is an acknowledgement of the existence of a world with a matrix of reality to it. And, uh, and that makes laughter beautiful and, and wonderful. And when you do get a chance to spend some time with family or with friends and laughter fills the room, how beautiful is that? Just wonderful. And, uh, uh, I know Susan Lappin and I greatly enjoy it when we're together and, uh, and we we hear our children in the next room laughing away uncontrollably just tremendous hilarity and and we look at each other and we laugh also uh, it's 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 beautiful and quite wonderful uh, that is the value of humor in marriage we've spoken a little bit about the uh, the the reason for the malevolent evil laugh in entertainment we've spoken about why Jews predominate in comedy and so that's probably as far as we should go for today I want to wish you a, uh, a year, a 2019 of good health and prosperity, pretty much everything else you should be able to take care of and, uh, and as far as uh, we'll be together on the show again next week until then, a week with you being a happy warrior winning the battles in your family, your friendships, your finances, and your faith. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappen. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network.